0: Welcome to the FBH Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. So we thought one of the best ways for us to be able to really introduce our new format and the direction we are headed as a church was to take an opportunity to talk through our DNA. Um, I know some of you might be upset by this, but originally slated for these four weeks was a series on giving. So you're welcome. We're not doing a series on giving. We're doing a series on on DNA overall as as a church, uh, who we are, who, what makes us us. Um, recently, we went on a pastor's retreat, and uh, the Zinzers were kind enough to open up their, their, their Central Coast home uh, to us. Um, and we did a whole bunch of things that, like, pastors do, right? I mean, it's a bunch of, like, nerdy things we're all of the age now, well, I say we all, I am of the age now where I don't want to do anything physical anytime I'm on the Central Coast. So Brian Guy was like, can we go on a hike? I was like, I don't know, you know, I was just, can we just not? So we did an escape room, which was a lot of fun. If you, you lock you get locked in a room and try to escape, um Brian Asbury is your guy for that, by the way. Uh the record for the room was 32 minutes. He got us out in 37 minutes and had almost nothing to do with the other three pastors in the room. So it was a really good team-building experience for us. Um but uh but we did that, we did a couple other things, but but largely we go over there to try to pray, we brainstorm, we think, and we just try to figure out like, God, what would you want for us in this next season? Like what is the right thing um, uh, for us? And so I posed the question to those guys and I was like, I want you guys to go away for a little bit of time, go away for an hour or so and I just want you to, to think about what are, what are core values of our church, things that we either want to be about or that we already are about, things that just really espouse who we are as a church. And the cool thing was is, is they came back, and we all came back from our different areas, right? Jeff probably went on a bike ride, and I went and took a nap because I already had the answers in my head because I posed it. And, you know, Brian and Brian probably played Settlers of Catan or something like that. Um, and they came back, and, and all of us, all four of us, all came back with, interestingly enough, the same four answers for our core values. And so there was, there was no different core value out there. It was like, no, these are the four. This is what we are, uh, this is what we're gonna be about. And so this series, uh, we're, we're, we're gonna go at it one core value at, at a time. Uh, but before we jump into that, and which, which they are, uh, I wanna talk a little bit about why this is even important. Why is it important for the church to recognize what, what, its core, what its core values are? Because as a church, largely we want to focus on three main things, right? When, when you walked in the door, you probably saw up in the lobby, if you came in from this lobby, you saw that it says three things up on the wall. It says, love God, love people, and serve the world. And that's what we have consistently said uh, for the last four and a half years, is we want to love God, we want to love people, and we want to serve the world. That is our target. That is our goal. Everything that we do at FBH is, is aimed at one of those three things or all three of those things in conjunction. That's our goal. And that mission comes from scripture, right? Jesus says uh, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people, right? Those are the first two. So we have those two, two covered. And then Jesus gave his disciples what is now known as the great commission, which says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we want to go out into the world and make disciples. How do we do that? By servant. Even beyond that, we take Jesus' example of serving on a regular basis. Jesus went and he served, and it didn't matter who it was or the type of person that he served. He just was going out and he was serving. There's examples of Jesus serving people who were homeless, people who, are, who uh, you know, the community had turned their back on, all the way up to centurions, people who would have been in the Roman government, that he served them just as, just as equally. So it didn't matter who it was he served. He was going and he was serving the world. So at the end of the day, that is that is good we want to love god we want to love people we want to serve the world that is our destination but as many of you know it is difficult oftentimes to arrive at a destination without having any guidelines as to know how you are getting there just raise your hand anybody ever been lost quick quick hand raise you liars you guys are all lying you've all been lost at some point some guys are like never i knew exactly where i was going the whole time just wanted to take the scenic route so i've only been lost one time in my life where i really thought i was like i could die out here okay i don't know if anybody else can relate to that there's one time and it was absolutely terrifying um i was 20 years old and i decided i was going to be really really spiritual that day and so uh i decided that i was going to do my quiet time up in yosemite's back country woke up that morning you know like a 20 year old would do and was like what should i do today i don't know i've got no responsibility i'm going to drive to the back country. So I, I throw on a hoodie, I grab my Bible, I grab my, uh, my notebook, and uh, I pack like a, a, a PBJ, nothing better than a squish PBJ at the end of a hike, right? Um, and so, and I grab my water bottle, and I head up into the backcountry, uh, past Tenaya Lake, I'm driving in my little green Honda Accord. Um, and I uh, get up there, hike like a mile and a half in, have this great quiet time. It's, you know, I'm, I'm just like walking on air essentially. And then I decide, okay, I wanna make sure I get on the road before, I, uh, be- before it gets too dark, because I didn't know where I was going. Because again, I was 20 years old, this is 18 years ago. That means that there's no good GPS on a phone. Also, I'm 20 years old and a dude, which means I wasn't using a map for anything. I was just like, oh, I'll just find my way; it'll be fine, right? Um, and I wasn't. And, and you like had to pay attention to where you were going, right? 18 years ago. Now I'm like. How do I get to Costco? Pull out my phone. Siri, show me where Costco is. Um, and uh, so anyway, so, so I go drive and, and I get in my car and I, I start to head home. And to this day, I still have no clue where I ended up. I, I have no clue where I was in the backcountry. At some, at some point, I took a very, very wrong, uh, wrong turn. So I'm driving... And it's probably like 9:30 at night, and and like I said, to this day I have no clue where I ended up. But but I started driving at one point over cattle guards. Um, now I don't know if you know what a cattle guard is, but if you live in Hanford, you don't know what a cattle guard is. You probably should. Cattle guards are the things. They're like bars in the road that cows can't walk over without getting stuck. It's like a fence without a fence, right? Um, which told me two things. One. I wasn't in Yosemite National Park anymore. And if I was, I was on land and property that I definitely shouldn't have been on, right? Because I know I didn't cross over any cattle guards on my way in to Yosemite. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know, I don't know where, where I am or anything like that. Um, I, the map is useless because I don't know where I am. There's no road signs that I'm thinking like legitimately, this is probably the beginning of a horror movie. This is how people die. That's where I'm at right now. So I flip out my phone, literally flip out uh, my phone, uh, where you had to pay 50 cents a minute for data. Uh, and I'm hoping I could find a road, like, on my phone, on terrible GPS signals somewhere in the backcountry of, of Yosemite to find the road that I'm supposed to be on. And uh, after about $2.50, I gave up on that. Um, and I just started looking for a house, a business, a sign, Anything, right? Like, God, please, just tell me where I'm supposed to go. I drove up here. I had this great quiet time, and now I'm lost, and I'm wandering in the wilderness. Please, help me, Lord, right? Um, and so I drove around lost for, for easily over an hour until off in the distance, and it's about 10 o'clock at night at that point. I, I see a guy jogging. Now, at this point, like, you have two, there's two types of people who jog at 10 o'clock at night. There's someone who wants to murder you or someone who cares very deeply about their fitness, right? Like those are the two types of people who jog at 10 o'clock at night. And so I'm like, like, okay, I gotta talk to the guy because I don't wanna die, but I also don't wanna starve to death out in this wilderness, this barren wilderness where I'm never gonna get out of. And so I just like crack my window just a little bit, like enough to be pleasant, but also enough where like a knife can't get through. And I'm like, hey, I'm lost. Where am I? I'm trying to get to Merced. Um, and he's like, Oh yeah, no problem. Head up to this road and go ahead and turn north. And I was like, okay, well, that's not helpful. Which way is north? Um, and he was like, turn right. I was like, okay, good. So I get up there. I turn right. He didn't murder me, thankfully. Um, and, uh, and I share that. It, well, what, what was supposed to be a three hour drive turned into an over five hour drive that night. And I got home and I was like, man, I'm lucky I had a quiet time because I had some bad thoughts brewing. Um, But I eventually made it, and I share that simply because if I simply would have had some direction as to where I was going, someone or something that would would have been able to guide me, I would have made it to my goal faster, right? I just simply would have gotten there faster if I had my map or if I had my phone or if I had something to be able to help move me forward. And that's what core values largely do for you is they help you navigate forward towards a goal you have in mind. Our goal, our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. That's not going to change. Our core values will simply help us get to that goal faster. And that's, that's largely what our hope is. So without wasting any more time, the first core value that all of us wrote down, at least in some, some form, is that we want to present truth in everything that we do at FBH. That's our goal. That's, that's the top priority for us. Our top core value is to present truth. And I think most of you would agree, like, oh, good, a church who's going to present truth. Like, that's why, I, that's why I'm here. I want them to be honest with you. But not just present truth. Like, we are unwaveringly dedicated to presenting the gospel of Christ and the authoritative, or the authoritative word of God. We're not going to skimp on that. That's consistently what we are going to go back to. What we don't want to do is simply paint, paint our picture of what we hope truth would look like or anything like that. That means we, we are always going to do our best to start from Scripture. If we get up here on a Sunday and we don't use Scripture, we're trying to add kind of our own assumptions to what the Bible says that we think we are failing at what it is that we are called to do. So we're going to present truth. Here's why. 2 Corinthians 4, 1-2. to It says, therefore. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In this entire chapter, chapter 4 here of 2nd. Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, he's regularly talking about like the constancy, the sincerity, and the integrity of those people who are called to bring the word of God. That's what he's consistently going back to. And he reminds them of the, the importance of proclaiming the gospel as well as remove the, removes the charge of, of, of arrogance from them. Like, hey, don't think of yourself any higher than you're supposed to. You're still a normal person, but the expectation is more so on you. So don't be arrogant about it. Present the word of God in very plain language so people are able to understand it at that point. And this is kind of a reaction to what's going on in the church of Corinth here. In the church of Corinth, if you go back to chapter 3, you'll actually see in the church of Corinth, there's a whole bunch of false teachers who have come in. And these false teachers, man, they are misrepresenting the gospel. They're downplaying the gospel. Even some of them are saying that Jesus actually didn't resurrect. But it doesn't matter that he wasn't resurrected. Right? He was just a good guy. So these teachers, that, man, they are doing damage overall to the early church, the church, church of God. And so they used these dishonest methods. They were crafty. They were deceitful. They hedged on the importance even of the gospel and beyond that presented it in a way that wasn't clear. So like verse 2 says, here at FBH, we, we aren't going to distort the word of God. By setting forth the truth plainly, we will commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That's our hope. That's our goal. That is what we consistently aim for. So our first core value is to present truth. Well, what truth? Great question. Because we live in an age where truth is is subjective, where everybody says, well, that's not my truth. That's your truth. That's not my truth. At the end of the day, we don't believe in subjective truth. We believe there is an objective truth. There's actually a, a famous picture that always makes its way around on social media every once in a while, where there's, there's a number painted on the ground. It's either a number of six or a number nine. And there's one person on one side of the, of the number, and there's one person on the other side of the number. And like the, the cartoon essentially says something like, like your perspective matters, like where you're sitting matters. And it's this idea that there's, there's no truth because if you're this person, you're looking at the number this way, it's a six. And if you're this person, you're looking at the number this way, it's a nine. And so to this person, it's a nine, and that person's a six. And so maybe we start to think, well, oh, that makes sense. Maybe truth is subjective. But then I would take it a step further and actually say that cartoon is incomplete. Because what that cartoon misses is the fact that somebody at some point came and drew that number on the ground. Somebody at some point said, there needs to be a number six here. And objectively speaking, the truth of that number is six, regardless of how it is that you view it, regardless of your perspective on that number, right? And so we, we're, not going to, we're not going to hedge on truth at all. We don't believe in it. We think people are entitled to their opinions, where, Bible, where the Bible doesn't speak to something or maybe it's not clear on something. You're entitled to your opinions, but there are things that we're not going to waver on, namely the word of God. We're just not not going to do it. So the truth that we present is going to be God's word paired with an honest and thorough exegesis of the passage that we're talking about. That's what we want to do. How do we land on the truth of Scripture, though? And not just the truth of Scripture, but the breadth of Scripture. What is it that we're going to teach through? 2 Timothy 3.16, this is what it says, and 17. It says, all Scripture, everybody say all. All. Thank you. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So not just the truth of Scripture, the breadth of Scripture, right? It says all. You guys even said it. <laughs> it says all, right? It doesn't say, it doesn't say oh, just, just Jesus' life in the Gospels is what I should be following and listening to. It doesn't say only in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or, or only Jesus' life is, is the only truth that I'm going to adhere to. That actually says all Scripture is God-breathed. That means when, when Paul is writing letters to the early church, that means revelation. That means Genesis. That means the prophets. That means all of those things. So any time that we encounter something in Scripture, we are simply going to teach on it. Why? Because we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. And all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All right? So we're not gonna shy away from it. Case in point, Brian Guy, he preached his first sermon here like, I don't know, six, seven, eight months ago. I can't remember. And so, you know, we're laying out the schedule. I'm laying out the schedule for, for, for teaching, and I wanna get Brian six hits a year and Jeff six hits a year and throwing, in, sprinkle in a couple other people. Here and there, and so it comes for Brian's first one, and I wasn't even really looking at at the topics that we were hitting on that day or the scripture. It was just like, oh, this fits nicely in the schedule. Brian, you're going to teach here, so I say, hey, Brian, this is what you're teaching, or this is the scripture that you're teaching on. It was during our relationship series that we were doing a few months back, and he's like, all right, sounds good. So he comes back to me two days later, and he's like, you know what, you have me teaching on. It's my first Sunday here. I was like, I don't know what. He's like, divorce. You have me teaching on divorce. And I, I was like, Do you want to teach or not? He's like, Yeah, I want to teach. I was like, great. So you're teaching on divorce, man. Like, like that's just the reality of what it is that we do here. Is that when there's a topic that needs to be covered and the Bible speaks to it, we're going to cover it. Why? Because we want to present truth, regardless of how we feel about that truth. In that same series, right? We the same relate, it was a great series, but the same relationship series. Man, we talked about sex one weekend. I'm pretty sure I said the word sex 5,000 times during that service. It made me so uncomfortable because my in-laws are sitting right where they are right now. And I kept thinking to myself, they know what I've done, right? (laughs) But the Bible talks about it. And so if the Bible talks about it, we need to be able to, I'm not even looking over there. We, We need to talk about it as well. Right? We're going to teach not just the truth of Scripture, we're going to teach the breadth of Scripture also. So that's the first part of present truth. And it's easy largely for us to agree with present truth from the stage, outwardly speaking, because we think to ourselves, yeah, I want my pastors from the stage to be able to present truth in such a way that people can understand it and they're not going to hedge at all. I think most of us would agree with that. That's the easy part for you. Now's the difficult part for you because you guys get to be involved in this entire thing as well. Because the second half of this actually comes through interpersonal conversations and relationships. It means it's your, it's your turn now. That means that as a church, our goal is to present truth even when it's uncomfortable for you, even when it's uncomfortable. For me, And I'm not saying present truth based on your opinion. I'm saying when you are in a conversation and you know someone needs to hear about God, know someone needs to hear about Jesus, you tell them about Jesus. Or when you know a fellow believer is struggling in sin and hasn't been forthright about it or confessed it to anyone, you have a conversation with that person regardless of how it makes you feel. That means that when you're struggling with sin and you need to confess it to someone because sin likes to hide in the darkness, you do so. It means we want to present truth, we want to be people of integrity, why? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's why we wanna have integrity. And it's the hard part for me, like I don't like confrontation. I hate, most pastors don't like confrontation. Most pastors just want everybody to be happy and like hold hands and sing kumbaya. Like when I get an email and someone's like, hey, I wanna have a conversation with you and they don't tell me why, my morning is shot. Right, I'm just sitting there staring at my screen, thinking, "Oh my gosh, what did I do? Someone is so mad at me right now." And they come in with like a card. It's like a Starbucks gift card. I'm just like, "Hey, really appreciate you." I'm like, could you just tell me that? You just say like, hey, "I have a gift for you." Like, I want to appreciate you. Like, I could be so much more productive with those four hours I wasted being anxious, right? But that means that we have to have hard conversations with people for the sake of edifying them, for the sake of building them up, and for the sake of pointing them towards Jesus in a loving way. That's why we have hard conversations. That's why we present truth in our interpersonal relationship. And that's hard, but that's what Scripture has called us to do. Right? It says that back in 2 Timothy 3, 3, 2 Timothy 3 16, where it talks about Scripture being useful for rebuking and correction. That's not just from the stage. As a matter of fact, oftentimes that's not from the stage and shouldn't be from the stage. It should be in the interpersonal conversations and relationships that you have with people in your relational world. So let's have a hard conversation today. Hey church, how is everybody? We good? Okay, that's gonna, it, it, this is gonna get beefy in just a second, but can I just say before, before that, can we just celebrate the fact that God is doing incredible things here at FVH? Incredible things. I mean, he's growing our small groups. People are coming to the Lord. They're dealing with deaths of of, of loved ones through community. They're taking steps of baptism. They're actively fighting against their flesh because they recognize God has something new and great for them. I mean, even the reason for new service times is literally our kids, your kids, broke what we were doing. And that is absolutely incredible i can't stop talking about easter because it's one of the biggest if not the biggest sundays we have ever had in the history 131 history of first baptist hanford god is doing awesome incredible things here but here's what happens here's what happens when when communities, when churches begin to get on a roll and people start coming towards Jesus and you feel this sense of momentum and there's growth. Before Easter, we were averaging about 460 people on a weekend. After Easter, we're easily over 500 people on a weekend. That hasn't gone down like a lot of churches do. So what happens when, when you start feeling that momentum and the spirit is moving and God is doing incredible things is what worked at one point no longer works. It doesn't scale oftentimes, and that's not because what we were doing before was wrong. It just means it doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't work anymore. Case in point, all the baptisms that we had at Easter, man, we had to add a second Sunday after Easter to baptize more people. That's a good problem, but if it was up to the pastor, we'd be like, no, dunk fest, let's get them all. 26 people in one service, right? We wouldn't talk about Jesus at all, but man, there'd be a lot of wet people here. But it broke because there were too many people, and that's good, that's a good problem to have to solve, right? And so we get to add something on to to, to, to after after Easter. So things don't always always scale. But we have two cracks that were that, that could, if we're not careful, turn into fissures and could turn into canyons overall. The first issue that we need to talk through is is summer. So we're just going to lay it out. Summer, something always happens in summer. I actually had, I forgot who it was. They'll remind me after. But someone told me if it wasn't for summer, senior pastors wouldn't have any faith. Because of the fact that over the summer, our giving tanks. Every single year. It just tanks. And it's not new to us. It's not new to like this church in particular. It happens at all churches. And I don't blame you. It's 105 degrees, and you don't want to be in Hanford. I don't either. So I leave. You guys leave. But what happens is is when you leave, you oftentimes take your money with you. And that's totally okay. Please leave. Take your money with you. I'm not even asking you to give above and beyond. If you call FBH your church home, all we would ask is that you just continue to be faithful with what you're already giving. Unless you want to give above and beyond, in which case no senior pastor would ever be upset about that. But... We would just simply ask that you stay and remain dedicated to that. This is what happened last year, just to put some real numbers on it. At the end of April last year, we were $10,000 in the black. Black is good when you're talking about money, okay? We were $10,000 in the black at the end of April. By the end of July, three months later, we were $25,000 in the red, and it's not because we went out and just spent a bunch of money, right? It really isn't. Our spending is relatively steady throughout the year. That's a $35,000 swing. For us, we need about $98,000 a month to operate functionally and to meet budget, okay? And granted, part of it's our mortgage, part of it's staffing, part of it's programs, all those admissions, all those different things. We need about $98,000 a month. Last April, or I'm sorry, last June, we got $72,000. That's $26,000 under. And that's just the reality of the situation. There's more than enough money to make up for it. You guys have proved it in April of this year already. This April, we ended, I think, for the year, we're $32,000 in the black this April. That's great news. We're actually $30,000, yeah, you can clap for that. We're $30,000 ahead of where we were this same time last year. So that's good. We would simply ask that you continue to be faithful in your giving. That's not the biggest crack though. That is not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is all of your kids. <laughs> not mine, yours. Um, yeah. So uh, with, this, with this kids ministry thing that's happening and with the growth, with the growth of our church overall, Man, we just need help. We legitimately just need help. And not just on the financial side, because hear me, on the financial side, with as many kids and as many people who are showing up, we are gonna spend every single penny of what you have allowed us as our budget for 2023. So we need your help meeting budget. But beyond that... Man, we got a ton of kids back there who need to hear about Jesus, who need to learn about Jesus. I guarantee you there are families who have showed up at our church at one point or another, and they're like, there's way too many kids back there. We'll try another time. And we never want our capacity to be an issue for people hearing about Jesus. We never want want that to happen. So here's the truth about what happens when we do a volunteer push, because that's what's happening right now. The same people who always volunteer for us end up volunteering more. That's what happens. I asked Jeff in between services like, hey, did anybody sign up to volunteer somewhere? And I said, and if you say Dave Fox volunteered again, I'm gonna fight him. (laughs) Because that's regularly what happens is we just have people who love to volunteer, who love to serve, who think, yes, this is my, this is what I am supposed to do. And so because of that, I'll step up to the plate even more. I'm just like, you can't consider, like, like, it's just not feasible. Dave can't be in 14 places at once. I can't be. Jeff can't be. Our kids' volunteers cannot be in all of these different different places at one time. So we have roughly about 400 adults here on the weekend, roughly. Our volunteers make up about one-third of that number. And from where you're sitting, you might think, oh, that's pretty good. When you, we, we, there's a rule of thumb in healthy churches that at least 57% of the congregation is regularly serving. That means we have a discrepancy of 24% if we want to be a healthy church when it comes to serving overall. And don't just say that because we have need. I mean, I'm definitely saying it because we currently have need, but I'm not saying it only because we have need. This is a spiritual issue. This is a massive, massive deal. When you enter into a saving relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into your heart, and you are now sealed for eternity. Ephesians 1:13 in the Bible, it says, "When you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit now resides in you if you've come into a saving faith with Jesus." So that's awesome. That's our hope. That is our goal. Overall, But when you receive the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation, you also receive spiritual gifts that are noted in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Those spiritual gifts are incredibly, incredibly important. You get these gifts that are supposed to be used for the building up of the church. That's in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. They're not just so you can feel good about, them, about yourselves. They're not just so you can use them at work. The spiritual gifts are supposed to be used for the building up of The church and we need your gifting we need your abilities we need especially kids to be loved and to be loved well and don't say all this to grow the church or pat our pockets or or whatever like we need to present this truth to you today because our mission at fbh is to love god to love people and to serve the world and apart from your help our reach is severely diminished We want it, honestly, we want to make it hard for people in Kings County to go to hell. And it's getting easier and easier to get there, so how are we doing that? We do that by establishing a church that families can bring their kids to where they know they are going to hear about the word of God, where they are safe, and where there are enough volunteers to be able to effectively present the truth of the gospel. I would venture to say that of most churches in Kings County, maybe all churches in Kings County, we have the highest adult to kid ratio of any church. I don't know if it's kid to adult ratio or adult to, I don't know how I'm supposed to say it, but we'll just go with adult to kid. And I can't prove that, but our kids ministry is sitting roughly around 25 to 30% of our weekend attendance regularly. Average for most churches is 21%. So that means, to be frank, we need more adult volunteers per capita than other churches do in order to make sure that we can continue to pour into the next generation. And that's awesome news because we already have the gifting in the room to be able to do it. We have the abilities right here in the room and we have a 24% discrepancy. 1 Peter 4.10 says each of you, everybody say each. Yeah, each of you. I noticed some of you were like, I'm not doing that again. Each of you. Should, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you, if you are alive today, you have a responsibility to the kingdom of God. It doesn't say some of you should use whatever gift you have. It says, Each of you. It doesn't say, if you're young, you should use whatever gift you have. It doesn't say, if you're old, you should use whatever gift that you have. It says, each of you should use whatever gift that you have for the building up of the kingdom. And two-thirds of us simply aren't doing so. So, this is my hope. And it feels salesman-y, and it feels guilt-inducing, but you can just deal with it. Um... (laughs) (laughs) I've been felt guilty about this all day. And Jeff was like, no, this is fine. Um, So you can get mad at him. Here's my hope. My hope is, is that we would have a massive influx of volunteers. That we would have so many volunteers that we don't know what to do with all of you as volunteers. That we're like, man... I don't know, I don't know we can dream now like outside of the box and do ministry in ways that we have never had to do ministries before that we would have so many volunteers that if we needed to, we don't, but if we needed to, we could go to a third service and a fourth service and a Spanish service and a service in Costa Rica if we want to do that that we would have just so many people who are like, I want to use my giftings and my abilities that the Holy Spirit has given me in such a way to build the kingdom of God because that is what is important in this life. And beyond that, we have a, uh, we have a responsibility being a church our size. I think a lot of people think of us as like a small to a medium-sized church, maybe medium-sized. Actually, it's not... Not true at all. Did you know that, that only 8% of churches, 8% of churches in America have more than 250 people in attendance? 8%. That means 92% of churches have fewer than 250. That's a, that's a crazy number. When you get to church our size, 500, that number drops to 4% of churches are bigger than, than 500 people, which is fun But that also means that we get the responsibility and burden of sharing the gospel and presenting the truth to more people in our community than other churches do. Why? Because there's more of us. And we have more gifting in this room and we should be. So I'll land the plane with this and we'll we'll move towards communion. We want FBH to flourish. We want FBH to, to move forward because Kings County needs a healthy and thriving FBH in order to grow the kingdom of God. Not because we just want to, like, we we want it to be our own little kingdom or anything like that, that we're just, like, and pat ourselves on the back, look how many people that we have. It's because the kingdom of God needs to move forward in Kings County. And we have a massive responsibility So today I just want to remind you all the, the grace that God ex- has extended to you. That at some point in your life, if you're a believer, at some point in your life, you have come to a saving faith in Christ. And I want you to think about what, what that felt like at the time where you recognized that, that Jesus, he went to the cross so that, so that I didn't have to pay for my sins for all of eternity. And that as you think about that, you recognize that this is, the, this is literally the greatest news that has, ever, that has ever literally walked the face of this earth. As the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, who didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped, decided that he was going to empty himself of, of privileges of deity and go and hang on the cross. So he could take all of that wrath, all of God's wrath that we deserved for our own sin upon him so he could provide a pathway forward for us. A pathway back to God which largely wasn't there before. Jesus came and he died and he was sent by the father to rescue humanity. And Jesus lived and he served and he died on this earth only to conquer that death three days later. Why did he do it? He did it to grow God's kingdom. He did it to provide a pathway forward for humanity and to show them how much that he loves them. It's the same reason that we serve today. It doesn't have the same eternal consequences, and I'm not saying any of us are Jesus, because clearly none of us are. But we serve to grow God's kingdom. We serve to show the pathway that Jesus made for us, and and we serve to show people how much God loves them. That's why we serve. Ephesians three ten and 11, it says, his intent was that now, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is God's plan A for reaching the world. The church exists to build up the saints and to make Jesus' name known to the world. That's why the church is here. So that's why you're here. You got half of it right if you're not serving today. You're here for the building up of the saints that you would leave this place in recognition. Maybe you know a little bit more about Scripture, a little bit more about the character of God, a little bit more about what Jesus did on the cross for you, whatever it may be. It's the building up of the saints. There's a second half to that, of expanding and growing the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' eternal purpose for the church. And so today we remember that. Today that's the truth that we need to just wrap our minds around. And so I'm going to invite the the band to come out. And we're going to start transitioning to communion. If you didn't receive communion elements on your way in, just raise your hand. we got ushers and members of the diaconate who will come and help you out. Don't be shy. Raise them nice and high so they can see but as is our tradition, the first Sunday of every month, we receive that communion. And today, as we, as we largely go into a time of worship, I, just, I, want you, I want you to do two things. And the first thing is to just get straight with God. Right? The first thing is to make sure that your relationship with Jesus is at a point where you can, just, you can confess sins to him where you can, you can have a conversation and listen to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is like, hey, you need to go and confess some sin to somebody. You need to reconcile with somebody. You need to make sure that you are in my word. on I don't know what it is. Or simply just sit there and ask for his grace and his forgiveness. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe it's you needing to present the truth of a gospel to a friend who doesn't yet know him. I don't, I don't know what it is, only you do. And once you've done that, I want you to ask the Spirit where it is that you should be serving his church. Because there are plenty of people who aren't. How can you help grow the kingdom with the gifts and the abilities that his Spirit has given you? Or maybe these two things largely, they largely don't matter. Maybe you haven't asked Jesus to be Lord of your life today and you need to start with that. We're going to receive communion together and then we're going to close with just a little bit more singing before we go. So that being said, why don't you bow in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. God, we just, I I am blown away by what you're doing at our church. And I thank you for you working through FBH, through the individuals who come here, through our small groups, through our kids' ministry, through those who serve. And so God, this morning, we just continue to to lay out the truth and present the truth, even the truth of your gospel, that you came, you bled, and you died on a cross for us to provide a pathway forward for all of eternity. And so this morning with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, there's people in this room who have not yet said yes to Jesus for the first time. You've never made a profession of faith before. And I believe there are people in here who have never made a profession of faith. If that's you this morning, simply ask that you pray along with me. If you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life, say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. That my sin was taken care of on that cross. And C, that I would choose to follow you every single day, including using the gifts and abilities that your spirit has given me to build up your church, to build up your kingdom. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Church, at this time, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, if you want to stand, whatever, we're just gonna sing a little bit, get right with God, listen to the spirit, and then we'll receive communion together.